Okay, we don't have many children, so we'll just let them stay with their parents this morning. Give Miss Dixie a chance to hear a message. I'd like for you to turn to Isaiah 43. In Isaiah 43... Now, we've got two verses we're going to talk about. Verse 11 and verse 25. So let's read verse 11. I, even I am the Lord, and beside me there is no Savior. Verse 25. I, even I am He, that blotteth out thy transgressions for mine own sake and will not remember thy sins. Let's bow our heads. Father, we thank thee for thy word and for those who have sent out here this morning and ask that thy spirit will be the teacher of all of our hearts, including the heart of thy speaker. We pray for Brother North here in the hospital that thou will raise him up. We pray for the family of the Browns uh, where there was a death in the Livingston family for those who survive, that thou wilt comfort their hearts at the passing of a loved one. And for our sick ones, we pray for them. We remember Miss Icky and, and uh, Miss, Miss Petey and, uh, and Audrey and, and others that are part of our fellowship but right now, at this time, we ask that thou will bless the reading of thy word and the preaching of thy word. We ask in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. See, as we've read both of these verses, we find that they both start with a double confirmation. I, even I. Now, this is so that you may pay special attention to what you read. Now, the Lord doesn't put extra words in the Bible just to fill up space. Every one is there for a good reason. It's for your eternal welfare that you understand that God is Lord, and the Lord is the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord of the Old Testament, called Jehovah, is the self-existing, eternal, immutable being. He never changes. Uh, Turn to Malachi 3.6. Malachi 3.6. Right in front of Matthew. Malachi 3.6. says, For I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. Now let's look at the same thing in the New Testament. Hebrews 13.8. Hebrews 13:8 Jesus Christ the same yesterday today and forever You see he never changes The God of the Old Testament we just read in Malachi says I change not. We read in Hebrews, the Lord Jesus Christ, 
doesn't change. Same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, one of the things that he never changes is his mercy and compassion. That's why he says, therefore, ye are not consumed. There would be no human race if it were not for God choosing some to salvation back in eternity and by his grace and mercy allow sinners to live in order to call out the elect and save them. How does the scriptures explain that? Turn to 2 Peter 3.9. 2 Peter 3.9 is going to tell you why God lets sinners live on earth without casting them into hell as soon as they sin. 2 Peter 3.9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise. In other words, he's not gone back on his promise that the wages of sin is death. As some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Uh, the us word is those that Peter wrote to, naturally. Who did he write to? Uh, the first verse tells you uh, those that have obtained like precious faith with us. So it's us word. And the Lord Jesus Christ is the one that's absolutely not willing that any should perish. And how do we know that? Well, let's look at uh, John 6, 39. John 6, 39. This is our Lord Jesus Christ confirming to the Father that he's not going to let anybody perish that the Lord has set his love upon. This is the Father's will, which has sent me, that of all which he hath given me, when? Back in eternity, should lose nothing. I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. Verse 40, same thing. This is the Father's will that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I'll raise him up at the last day. So interesting to end that these verses with, I'll raise him up at the last day. I'll raise him up at the last day. Verse 44 says the same thing. I'll raise him up at the last day. Why is that important? Because our Lord has promised us new bodies. He's promised us a resurrection body like unto his glorious body. Very similar. And that's the believer's hope. You and I aren't spirit people. We're not going to be floating through the air for eternity. We're going to have bodies. Resurrected bodies. Naturally, if we die, they'll be resurrected. If we're living when the Lord comes, they'll be changed. But they'll be just like a resurrected body. Same type of body. And that's why our Lord confirms it over and over again. I'll raise them up again at the last day. You don't have any problem. You die, I'll raise you up again. You remain faithful and believe when I come, I'll change your body. Now that's our living hope. That's what I'm living for. A body that won't sin. Not just a body that won't cry or won't get hurt or will live forever. A body that won't sin so that I can have fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who paid my eternal sin debt. Eternal. How long is eternity? I can't, I, there's no end to it. 
That's how long you and I justly deserve to be punished for our sin. The Lord Jesus Christ paid that sin debt. Boy, are we indebted to him. Now, the one who is Lord and has all power in heaven and earth, that's Lord Jesus Christ in Matthew 28, 18. And that means that his lordship covers every human being that ever draws breath. Most people on earth do not own the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord. But that does not alter his lordship or their subjection to him. They will bow and they will confess him to be Lord one day. They're not going to get out of it. Look at Philippians 2. Philippians 2, 9 through 11. There's no getting out of it. Philippians 2, 9. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. Now, how could God exalt God? He couldn't. But he could exalt the God-man. Never before had God stood in a human body. And so the Godhead came to agreement that this person, the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, is exalted above every name. That at the name of Jesus, the person of Jesus, in the body of Jesus Christ, every knee should bow of things in heaven and things on earth and things under the earth. That takes care of everybody, I guess. Dead, living, in hell. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. They will bow, either in this life or in a life to come. Now, bowing tells you what? Humbleness, submission, loss of pride. You're going to bow, either in this life or the life to come. And when a sinner bows in this life and acknowledges that they're guilty, broken all of God's rules, laws, that they're under condemnation, justly acknowledging that they're guilty. And if you cry unto the Lord Jesus Christ as your mediator, as your go-between, as your substitute, as your redeemer, and come to know him, your sin debt's paid. Now that's worth waiting for. That's worth striving for. Like Ferdy's song says, there's nothing in this world worth going to hell for. Nothing. And it's a struggle with the individual. When God gives you grace to overcome, you ought to just praise him and thank him every moment of the day. Lord, you have given me grace. I know how terribly weak and wicked I am. But being Lord to some who bow to him in this life while they have breath brings in the second part of our verse. In verse 11, Isaiah 53, it says, Besides me, there is no Savior. A Savior is someone who saves someone else. And we read of people all the time who save others. 
policemen, firemen, soldiers, sometimes people, sometimes animals. And then once in a while, some great person may save a city or a country. At any rate, the person being saved was or is in great danger of being destroyed. Well, of all the dangers facing people, there is no danger that even begins to compare to the danger of going to hell. Even the most frightening thing to a human being, which is death, is nothing compared to being cast into hell. Look at Luke 12, 5. Luke 12, 5. But I will forewarn you whom ye shall fear. Fear him which after he hath the power, after he hath killed, hath power to cast into hell. Yea, I say unto you, fear him. Also, while you're there in Luke, I'm going to give you a little picture of just how awful hell is, and you won't get the complete picture. But it's in Luke 16, verse 23. Luke 16, 23 and 24. It says, and in hell he lifted up his eyes. Soon as he quit breathing, there he was. Boom, what a quick transport that was. And in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried, and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water, and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. Well, we think our weather is hot and people are tormented. Uh, nothing like this guy. He just wanted a dampened finger from a diseased old man to touch his tongue. Words cannot describe, nor the mind imagine, the unrestrained wrath of God against sin. But this Savior... This one who is Lord suffered the full force of God's wrath. And that when he hung on the cross. So awful, so beyond description that God blanketed the earth in pitch darkness. No one has ever seen anyone punished in hell. And to keep it that way, God caused the darkness to cover our Savior's descent into hell when he went there as our surety. Silence, utter darkness, and deserted by God forever was contained in those hours upon the cross by our Lord Jesus Christ. All of this done to him because he was being punished by God the Father for our sins. He who only was perfectly righteous and acknowledged so by the Father became, as the scriptures say, sin for us. 2 Peter 1.17 2 Peter 1.17 is where we find that he perfectly satisfied the Father. When Peter, James, and John was on the Mount of Transfiguration, they even saw Moses and Elijah, which to me I would have never forgotten. But Peter doesn't mention those two guys. He mentions that powerful voice that he heard. And he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory. 
This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. Wow. Well, Peter, what about Moses and Elijah? Forget them. They're just saints. They're just, they were sinners just like I am. But that voice, I'll never forget it. This is my beloved son whom I'm well pleased. And I said as the scriptures say, he became sin for us. Look at 2 Corinthians 5.21. I heard Brother Nortier quote that one this morning too. I'm going to read you while I'm on that page, verse 17 and 18, too. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Every single thing passed away? No, of course not. But your habitual practices of sin, your presumptuous sins, out with them. They're gone. Come you out from among them. Be you separate. All things become new. Things that weren't so pretty to you are become beautiful. Things that you loved and thought were beautiful become ugly. Things change when you come to the Lord Jesus Christ because you're a new creature. And all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ. And that verse 19 says to wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. Those are great scriptures. And then uh, the one I want to read for you is 21. For he hath made him to be sin for us. In other words, the sin bearer. Not sin itself. The punishment of sin. The sin bearer. The, he, he, he voluntarily took the guilt of our sin. It was imputed to him. Because it tells us who knew no sin, so it never touched him, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Meaning that a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ is perfect in God's eyes. Absolutely perfect. Righteous. Perfectly righteous. As if they kept the law all the time. As if they never broke any of God's rules. It's beyond words. What can you say? The righteousness of him because we believe in him? That's God's idea. God's plan of salvation. God works it out in the individual's heart. The world don't believe it. They think it's foolishness to have a substitute. Boy, to the believer coming to Christ, it's the most wonderful thing ever to know that God the Creator has an interest in you as an individual. In other words, our Lord Jesus Christ suffered the torments of hell for our sin in our place. 1 Peter 3.18 describes it as the just for the unjust. Let's look at that. 1 Peter 3.18 For Christ also hath once suffered for sins the just for the unjust that he might bring us to God being put to death in the flesh but quickened by the spirit he only suffered one time for us there's no more sacrifice 
I know of a church that tells you that they have a sacrifice every time they have a Mass. It's called the sacrifice of the Mass. Well, how blatantly ignorant can you be? He suffered once. It's all over and done. Don't have to be done again. And then it says the just for the unjust. That means that every believer who has ever trusted the Lord Jesus Christ has acknowledged themselves as unjust. There's no self-righteous spirit about believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Whenever you run up against a self-righteous religious person, you better believe they have never seen themselves unjust. Because our Lord Jesus Christ was the just one who died for unjust sinners. Well, have you ever seen yourself lost? Have you ever really seen yourself as unjust? You say you're not sure what just what lost means. Our Lord Jesus describes the condition for you in Revelation 3.17. This is the condition of lost. The problem with this verse is, though, is that people don't know it. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. In other words, you don't have to teach me about the Bible or about Jesus. I know all about him. And I've made my profession years ago, and I come from a religious family. And uh, we have a nice big church full of people every Sunday. Increase with goods, First Baptist Church, it always reminds me of that. In need of nothing, rich. Here's the big thing. And knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor, blind and naked. And whenever a sinner realizes, when the Holy Spirit teaches the heart, that's your condition. You're most blessed. Those aren't despicable uh, characteristics of a sinner. Those are wonderful characteristics. When you know it. Because what do you do? The only thing you could possibly do is throw yourself at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ and beg for mercy. That's kind of what he tells you in verse 18. He says, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire. That's the, 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 your faith. That thou mayest be rich, and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. You see, these things are tough for the sinner coming to Christ because of his own wicked heart, his own wicked nature, and the flesh wants to repel all of these things. Now, these things are chastenings. This is how God chastens you. Just look at the next verse. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. So it's not a happy time coming to Christ. Not happy at all. Not beating the tambourines and holding hands and all this thing that they want you to think goes on when the Holy Spirit's dealing with you. It's not that. It's a rebuking. I rebuke and chasten you. That's if he loves you. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Boy, the scriptures open up stuff to our hearts when the Lord teaches us. Wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. If you haven't seen yourself as lost, you do not even have a Savior. Now, the very serious thought behind our verse that says, Besides me there is no Savior, is this. 
Everyone needs to be saved, which means everyone needs a Savior. Now, turn to Ezekiel 18.4 and we'll tell you why. Ezekiel 18.4 Behold, all souls are mine. As the soul of the Father, so also the soul of the Son is mine. And the soul that sinneth, it shall die. How can people say they're saved and continue habitually in sin? It can't be done. And yet that's the world, the religious world for you. When it says the soul that sinneth, it shall die, it means one sin is sufficient for a soul to be cast into the lake of fire. One is sufficient. Say a person didn't have a sin. Say, oh, I better not go into the baby thing because this is God's business. There's no way in the world any minister can say whether babies go to heaven or whether babies go to hell. But babies do die. And babies wouldn't die if they didn't have a sin nature. You understand that death entered the world because of sin. There'd be no death if there was no sin. So babies die, meaning they have a sin nature. But I think there's elect babies and non-elect babies. I can't tell you who goes to heaven, who goes to hell. That's God's business. I'll leave it there. Those that he permits to grow up and become old folks like us or young folks like you all, you have to deal with him in your life while you have breath. Okay? As the soul of the Son is mine, as the soul of the Father, so also the soul of the Son is mine. And I tell you, every time we read this, it's because daddies kind of think they own their kids. And God's telling you, uh-uh, you don't own nothing. You have a responsibility to raise them in the fear of God, but their soul belongs to me. And if they don't get to Christ, they split hell wide open. And if you love your son, if you love your child, you will teach them about the Lord Jesus Christ as much as you can. Because the world's going to do as much as it can to tell them no God, no creation. Turn to Romans 3, look at verse 10. This is the New Testament commentary on what we just read. Romans 3 and verse 10. As it is written, there's none righteous, no, not one. Wow. There's none that understandeth, there's none that seeketh after God. They're all gone out of the way, they are together become unprofitable. There's none that doeth good, no, not one. What's he talking about? Aren't there a lot of believers in the world that are considered good people? Yes, there are. This is talking about people naturally. The normal, natural person that God has not interfered into their life. God has to interfere into the life in order for you to have any spiritual interest whatsoever. Then, then you're accounted one of these righteous ones. You'd be righteous. When the scriptures talk about, I came not to call the righteous, he's talking about self-righteous. People that just feel they don't have any need of anything more. They're doing the best they can. He says, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. 
But the righteous are also those who come to Christ and have this righteousness imputed to them. Well, if God just left everyone alone, just left them in their natural state without interfering in their lives by the Holy Spirit, none would ever move one step toward him for salvation. It's the eternal great love of God toward the elect sinner that sets the magnet in motion to draw sinners to Christ for eternal life. Show you the Old Testament and then the New. First of all, Jeremiah 31 3. Jeremiah 31 3. Here's where it starts back in eternity. The Lord hath appeared of old unto me, saying, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Everlasting means eternal. So you can't put an age bracket on that. It's just that God loves those he set his love upon. And he says, And therefore with loving kindness have I drawn thee. Now, I said the magnet was set in place. Let's look over there at John 8.44. John 8.44 is going to tell you the same thing. John 6.44, 6.44, not 8. No man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him, and I'll raise him up at the last day. What is this drawing? Well, he says, therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn thee. It's so simple to put Bible things together. If God doesn't draw you by his spirit, you will never come. If God hasn't loved you from eternity, you will never come. Now, it's our business to find out if God has loved us from eternity. There's no harm in trying. In fact, if you try, period, it means possibly giving you the better percentage that God has loved you. People say, well, if he's loved me, well, okay, then I'll be loved. Or if he saved me, I'll be saved. It's, oh, brother. You put all of your effort into high gear to get to Christ. You lop off things. You leave friends. You leave family. You... Quit doing things. You quit hanging around with the old folks. Let me tell you how that goes, too. Over there in uh, 1 Peter, I, I always could see this in my own life. Uh, 1 Peter, uh, chapter 4, and verse 3 and 4. 1 Peter 4, 3 and 4. For the time past of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles. What's that mean? It means up until the time you had any spiritual interest or in your soul or in eternity, you lived in a world. You had friends, you did things, whether they were good, whether they were bad, you just lived according to the course of this world. He says, when you walked in lasciviousness, lust, excessive wine, revelings, banquetings, abominable idolatry, some people are in one category. Some people can say, hey, I've done all of that. But your friends, what do they think? Verse 4, wherein they think it's strange that you run not with them to the same excessive riot. Speaking evil of you, what kind of evil is that? Oh, you're a fanatic. 
You read the Bible too much? Oh, you got jailhouse religion. You, uh, you, you just think you're better than we are. You see, that's, that's what. But he says about you, who shall give an account to him that is ready to judge the quick and the dead? Yeah, you're the one got to give an account, not them. And that's why they think it's strange that you don't run with them anymore. Just a few out of mankind, the bulk of mankind, are called in the Bible natural people. That is by nature, without spiritual insight, and viewing the seriousness of religion as foolishness. 1 Corinthians 2.14 1 Corinthians 2.14 is just, Paul just going to tell us exactly what the normal, natural person is like. They can be a king, they can be a pauper, they can be a worker, or they can be anything. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for their foolishness unto him Neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. And that scripture has meant more to me in all of my Christian life probably than any of the other scriptures because it makes me to wonder and it makes me to acknowledge that God had to change my life because I was a natural person one time. Very much interested in what's going on in the world and to make your mark in the world. I love to play sports. I love to read and study and learn things. I wanted to go to college. But until God showed me I was a lost sinner. See, that, that's the jumping off place. Now, he can show you heaven. He can show you hell. He can show you a lot of things in the Bible and you think you're learning. Man, this is great. But the jumping off place is when God says, you're the one. You're the guilty one. And if you don't come as a lost sinner, you'll never come at all. So most sinners try and try and try and try to come every other way but as being utterly lost and asking for mercy. When you ask for mercy, God will grant it to you. And it take his time. I know the modern preachers tell you, if you ask right now, God's obligated to answer you. <laughs> God's not obligated to do a single thing for anybody. But he does promise. If you ask, I'll grant. And that's our hope today for everybody that we preach to, everybody we know, everybody we love, that they'll come down as a lost sinner and deal with the Lord Jesus Christ one-on-one. -on -one. And when he answers you, it'll be the greatest moment in your life. Let's bow our heads. Father, we thank thee this day for the Lord Jesus Christ. That we have someone to talk about, someone to preach about, someone to shout about, a substitute, one who has saved us from going to the lake of fire. Is the lake of fire real? Yes, indeed, to every believer. To unbelievers, no such place. Lord, take our preaching and the reading of thy word. 
home to the hearts of these here today and those who will listen by tape. We pray this in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. You're all dismissed. <laughs>